Good evening and welcome to this week's edition of Where the Road Takes Me. And this week in Programme 3, we conclude a story that centres around the executions of four anti-treaty prisoners at Mountjoy Jail on the morning of Friday, November 8th, 1922, as our country is in the midst of a bitter and tragic civil war. On the previous day, November 7th, West Cork TD Sean Hales was shot dead as he returned after lunch to the newly formed government in Dublin. He was accompanied by Padraig O'Malia, a Mayo TD who was supposedly the intended target. O'Malia was also shot and seriously wounded, but survived. A reprisal and a warning to others was as swift as it could possibly be. At 2am the following morning, anti-treaty prisoners Rory O'Connor, Liam Mellows, Joe McKelvey and Dick Barrett from Ballanine in West Cork were awoken in their cells and informed they were to be executed at 8am that morning. This was, according to the Free State, a warning to others, but also, they declared, for the common good. Despite the fact that none of the four men had been involved in the shooting of Sean Hales and no trial was afforded them. The Civil War was littered with tragic stories, but also with sad irony, which in itself was tragic. For instance, Sean Hales, who had been shot by anti-treaty forces, had introduced Dick Barrett to the IRB and encouraged him to join. The Hales family would never have condoned the execution of Dick Barrett. Likewise, the Barrett family would never have agreed with the shooting of Sean Hales. And then there was Kevin O'Higgins who had signed the execution warrant for the four anti-treaty prisoners, but not before he had asked if there was any alternative. Rory O'Connor had been best man at O'Higgins' wedding. And this for Dublin historian Gerard Shannon is one of the most extraordinary stories of the period. I mean, O'Connor, as we know, executed with the three others in December 1922. You know, just a year before that, in late 1922, he is the best man at Kevin O'Higgins' wedding. You see photographs of them standing beside each other. And there was a very warm and close friendship between them. Like, it's very genuine. In Kevin O'Higgins' papers in UCD, you see a lot of letters that he wrote to his wife where he talks of Rory very fondly. At one point, when Rory is in prison during the War of Independence, he's actually imprisoned with Kevin O'Higgins' father, Thomas. And Kevin O'Higgins writes, how happy he is that Rory's actually imprisoned with his father, you know, that Rory will look after him and so on. But very warm and affectionate. And when Kevin Higgins actually goes on his honeymoon to London, actually around the same time the treaty delegations there, coincidentally enough, he writes a letter to Rory O'Connor thanking him for being his best man. And he said, I received as many compliments about the bride as I did about my choice of best man, you know, which is kind of a, you know, a bit of a joke he's making there. Like, But it just goes to show the esteem he held him in. You know, when it came to, of course, the cabinet, you know, signing the execution order, Kevin Higgins reportedly was the last to do so and he was very reluctant to do so and he kind of felt you know in his view he had no choice but to sign the execution order and in the later Dáil debates after the executions Kevin Higgins gets up and says you know great heavens this man was a friend of mine you know how can you say this is done out of spite you know he's you know, like even then, he's still kind of very conscious of the close and warm friendship that he had with Rory O'Connor. And I think it very much symbolizes the tragedy of the Civil War, you know, brother against brother. Now, of course, the two men weren't brothers, but they were very close. Like, they, they may as well have been. I remember reading somewhere when the decision was made to execute these four men that Kevin O'Higgins asked, is there any alternative? And he was given a resounding no. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's, it's ironic then what you have there after that Kevin O'Higgins kind of becomes the strong man of the Free State Government. He, he, like he later says at an election rally several years later, you know, I'd execute another 77 Republicans and 777 more if necessary. And it's probably the reason that contributed to his assassination.
Association in 1927. Now, later it was an independent action by members of the IRA's Dublin Brigade, but he was targeted because he was a very, you know, vocal proponent of the executions and the free state policy during the Civil War. And just the very dark irony of that, that, you know, we have accounts that say he was reluctant to sign the execution order for Rory O'Connor. Coleman Hennessy lives in White's Cross on the outskirts of Cork City. His grandfather fought in the War of Independence. During the week, he came to see me, bringing a prized possession with him. As we all know, Rory O'Connor, Liam Mellows, Joe McKelvey and Dick Barrett all wrote a number of letters each in the hours before their execution. Coleman brings with him one of the original letters written by Liam Mellows at 4.30am on the morning of their execution, Friday, December 8th, 1922. We were cleaning my father's room there a couple of years ago and we came across the letter in a drawer. My grandfather was uh, active in the War of Independence and uh, he lived in Oldenburg in the Turner in Turner's Cross and um, it may have originated from that source. You must have been very surprised when you discovered the letter and who it came from and when and where it was written. To be honest, it was one of the to read this letter was one of the hardest things that I ever did. It would literally make the hair stand in your head. And your grandfather fought in the War of Independence, so they may have known each other. My grandfather uh, used to store the guns. My grandmother told me that they used to store the guns in Oldenburg in the house. And Liam Mellos was director of supplies during the War of Independence. So I think that's where the connection probably lay between the two of them. The composure that these four men had, the composure was immense knowing that you were to be executed in a number of hours. For a man facing execution in a few hours' time, his handwriting, sentences, paragraphs commas and full stops show a self-control that is astonishing. He also wrote a letter to his mother asking that there would be no revenge or appraisals for their debts. His final letter was written at about 7.30 a.m., which was a third letter, saying goodbye to all his Republican friends in Mountjoy Jail. The letter that you've read was written to whom? The letter that I, re- that I read was written to John and Mary Hearn in Westfield, Massachusetts. Liam's connection with America was that he successfully led the 1916 Rising in Galway. After the Rising, he escaped to America disguised as a priest. While in America, he became friendly with John Devoy, who some would say was the greatest Fenian of all time. And Devoy was very impressed by Mellows. He said that he is the best man that has come to America yet. He organised and fundraised during the War of Independence. He organised de Valera's trip to America. And as in his own words, he was de Valera's John the Baptist. He organised the venues and the fundraising. And he was elected as a TD to East Galway in the 1918 general election in his absence in America. He returned to Ireland in 1920 and he became director of supplies for the volunteers during the War of Independence. And while in America then, he was arrested on suspicion of aiding the Germans in in World War I. That's right. He served time in Toombs Prison and he also got in trouble as he was against, he was, um, against conscription in America for the, for the war as well. And he um, got in trouble for that as well. So he fell on hard times in America. He actually said when he came back from America that America was like his purgatory. Mountjoy Prison, Ballyaclea, December the 8th, 1922. Time, 4.30am. Dear John and Mrs Hearn, the time draws short 
An hour ago I was informed that I was to be shot at eight o'clock this morning as a reprisal. Well, I shall die for Ireland, for the Republic, for that glorious cause that has been sacrificed by the blood of countless martyrs throughout the ages, the cause of human liberty. The Republic stands for the truth and honour for all that is noblest in our race. By truth and honour, by principle and sacrifice alone, will Ireland be free. That this is so, that this is immutable, I am prepared to stake all my hopes of the hereafter. Ireland must tread the path our Redeemer trod. She may shrink, as indeed she has shrinked. Put away this chalice, but her faltering feet will find the roar again as indeed she is already finding it. It's the road that is plain and broad and straight. Its signposts are unmistakable. It is the road on which Wolftone and Emmett and Mitchell, the Fenians and Tom Clark, Pierce, Connolly, Kevin Barry, Terence McSweeney and Childers were all the guides. I have no regrets for the future of Ireland is assured. The Republic is assured and before long, all Irish men, including those now unhappily in arms against the Republic, will be unified against imperialist England, the common enemy of Ireland and of the world. To you and Mary, I send my love. I know your prayers will be offered for me, though through the old accolades, I share the belief that those who die for Ireland have no need for prayer. God bless you all. With affectionate regard, Leah Mellos. To John, Jay and Mrs. Hearn, 9 High Street, Westfield, Massachusetts, USA. John Enright is a legal historian of the Irish Revolutionary Period from 1914 to 1923. He is the author of many books, including The Irish Civil War, Law, Execution and Atrocity. During the previous two programmes, he has questioned why these four men were not afforded a trial. But even if they were, would the result have been any different? And how can you actually try somebody for a crime that you know and the whole world knows were not responsible for and could not possibly have been at the scene of the crime? Sean Enright does agree that one of the saddest elements of the Irish Civil War was brother against brother, which was the actual case in many households around the country. One feature of the execution which goes unnoticed is, in general terms, it was a policy of the Free State Government to execute the good soldiers of the, of the revolution. And they were, by and large, 
young men aged 18, 19, 20, or early 20s are unmarried without status in society. And that made the execution process uh, easier because uh, there was no one to speak for them or to uh, protest about what had been done. But in the case of these four executions, the fact that they were untried and also that they were significant figures with significant connections in society made these executions very unusual. And these executions, one of the reasons for them was to strike fear into the hearts of anybody else who was plotting similar acts as the killing of Sean Hales. Did it have its desired effect? It seems to. There was one more attempt to kill a TD, which was unsuccessful. Someone took a shot at Mulcahy's car as well. But after that, there were no more um, assassination attempts, TDs. So to that extent, it was successful. The other legacy, however, was that the government brought in trial by committee, which meant that for any man coming on trial, there was no guarantee of anything like due process. Trial by committee meant that Many prisoners were not even present at their own trials. So that brought about a diminution of due process to the extent where there was no fairness or propriety in these trials at all. And were these executions the only ones that were questionable from a legal point of view? I presume not. I think they're all questionable because uh, the executions and the trials that took place in the Civil War were not sanctioned by a common law or a statute passed by Doyle Aaron. And after the Civil War in 1923, the Doyle passed the Indemnity Act of 1923, which prevented anyone being who was involved in the execution process or the trial process being prosecuted or sued in the civil courts. So there was a, a clear basis on which to assert that the trials were simply illegal. And that brings part one in programme three, the concluding programme, to a close. But coming up in part two after the break... The executions are delayed by one hour, as Liam Mellows has a difference of opinion with the prison chaplain. And was Dick Barrett the first choice, representing Monster in these four executions? He had been transferred from Mount Jai in the autumn to Garmanstown Camp in County Mead, from where he made his escape, thereby, according to Ernest Blyde, avoiding execution. Find out in part two in just a few moments. 